snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? For fans of the Indiana Jones movies, that line from Raiders of the Lost Ark should be familiar to you. It's one of the most popular movie lines in history. It's uttered as Indy is in hot pursuit of the Israelites' Ark of the Covenant, appropriate for this period in scripture that we're reading from. In order to find the Ark, Indy must first go through a room called the Well of Souls, a room he discovers is infested with the worst types of snakes everywhere, crawling through the holes in the walls, all over the ground, covered He must face these snakes. Now, the problem is, though, that Indiana Jones has what is called, and I'm going to try my best to pronounce this, ophidiophobia, which is a fear of snakes, an abnormal fear of snakes. Yet in spite of this fear throughout the Indiana Jones movies, he's always running into snakes. We learn in one flashback in a movie that as a young man, he once fell into a circus train car that was filled with snakes all the way to the top, immersed like in a pool. If you weren't afraid of snakes before that, surely that would be enough to push you over the edge. Now, if I were him, I would have just stayed a humble professor and never have to face my fears. But Indy goes on these adventures and is forced to face his fear of snakes. The thing he fears the most is always on the path to the thing he most desires. Well, this morning, the thing I fear the most is this strange, disturbing text. What a doozy. Now, we've been preaching from what's called the Revised Common Lectionary, a set of scriptures that a lot of mainline churches follow as our guide for Sunday sermons. And somebody thought it would be a great idea to preach from the Old Testament text during Lent. Uh, I should have read them all first. This text is as confusing as it is terrifying. Mary asked me earlier before church, now how do you explain this graven image of bronze in light of the Ten Commandments last week in which we were told not to do such things? Well, that's for another sermon. Some other time that Marty will preach. But this text is terrifying, certainly appropriate for the weekend of Friday the 13th. After reading it, I'm not sure what I'm more scared of, the snakes or God. Now, biblical scholars have tried to take some of the terror out of this text by calling it a murmuring story. Doesn't that sound sweet? A murmuring story, a text about the Israelites murmuring, complaining about how hard their free life in the wilderness is. The word comes from literally that sound our children make when they whine, murmur, 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 you know, murmuring. And that's what they do. For six stories scattered from Exodus through Numbers, there are these stories of the people coming to Moses and complaining about how hard life is post-slavery. Now, it starts all the way back in Exodus 11, Exodus 11, almost moments after they are saved from slavery in Egypt. Moses, they say, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. Oh, life was so good back in Egypt. And Moses takes They're complaining to God. Every time, takes their complaints to God. And what does God do? 
Well, God sends manna from heaven. Now, manna is a word that literally means, what is it? And whatever this bread-like substance is that falls from heaven, it keeps falling from heaven. Every time they need food in the wilderness, whatever it is, is there. Now, by Numbers 11, they're tired of this this manna, and they start murmuring again. Moses, if only we had meat to eat. There's nothing but this manna to look at. So Moses goes to God, and God sends a strong wind, and the ground is covered with flocks of quail. Once they complain about being thirsty, Moses, we're thirsty. So Moses takes a stick, and Moses hits a rock with the stick, and God makes a fresh spring flow in the middle of the desert out of the rock. Always they're complaining to Moses, and always Moses takes their complaints to God, and God provides. Until today. Today, this time in this text, it's different. This time, they don't just go to Moses and complain. They complain to Moses and God. God, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and water. And and we detest this miserable food. Now, did you catch that? There is no food, God. And by the way, all the food you gave us, this manna and quail, is disgusting. Five times they complained to Moses, but this time, one time they complained to God, and that is the last straw. God lets them have it. Now, let's be honest, before we're too hard on God, what parent among us has wanted to throw curses upon their children as they stand in front of a full refrigerator and say, there is nothing to eat. I detest this miserable food. Of course, we only think about it dream about it perhaps, but God is supposed to be better than that. God, aren't you overreacting a little bit? I know these people are annoying, but does the punishment fit the crime? Poisonous snakes? Really? Talk about terrifying. Now, I can't remember the first time I saw a snake, but I have feared snakes as long as I can remember. Psychologists have identified the fear of snakes as the most common fear among humans. I remember my grandmother would cry out even seeing a snake on TV as if it were right there in her living room. Even people who have never in their entire life seen a snake, they are still deathly afraid of snakes. It is their number one fear. A recent study that was done suggests that actually our brains are hardwired into fearing snakes. It is a genetic trait, not a learned behavior. We are born with a fear snake section in our brain. Now, this same study tested primates, and they too have this same genetic fear, which has led these biologists to believe that fear of snakes predates even human beings. Biologists imagine our pre-human ancestors as they adapted to life in the trees would encounter a snake at night and that would mean certain death to them. So the species developed a fear of snakes to survive. Now I don't know when it developed after snakes but not far down the list of common fears among humans is the fear of God. It's right up there with snakes. 
and put snakes into the hands of God. And it's no wonder this text is so terrifying. Don't make God mad. That's the message of this story. Even now, when a natural disaster hits, self-appointed spokespeople for God are very quick to tell us what people did to deserve God's wrath. When levees broke in New Orleans after the hurricane Katrina flooded the city, all these self-appointed spokespeople were eager to tell us why God sent this storm. Televangelist Pat Robertson said it was God's punishment for the sin of abortion. Al-Qaeda actually released a statement. They said that Katrina was sent by God. God attacked America, they said, because of America's foreign policy against them. Jack Schick, have you heard of Jack Schick, this guy who makes those awful comic books that usually tell about the end of time and have pictures of cartoons burning in hell? Well, he published one for Katrina entitled, Somebody Angry? With a question mark at the end. His answer, yes. Yes, God is angry because of U.S. policy towards the nation of Israel. Now, the reasons all differ, but the cause was agreed upon. God made that disaster happen. Read through the Old Testament and such logic seems to stand up. Scripture records story after story of our human ancestors wrestling with this question of God's nature. The writer of Proverbs teaches us that if you do good, well, then good will come to you. But if you do evil, evil will come. The very first psalm, Psalm 1, testifies, The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So floods and plagues, rain made of burning sulfur, death, disease, pestilence, famine, natural disasters, all are interpreted in the Old Testament as punishments from God's hands. Oh, and snakes, too. Yet in our own, in our scriptures, there's also the story of Job. Now, Job is a righteous man, yet great evil comes his way. He loses his children. He loses everything he has. What sin have you done to cause this? His friends and family ask him, but Job says nothing. Job is blameless. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. In Job's story, Job actually argues with God and God listens. I did not deserve this, Job says to God, and God doesn't disagree and God doesn't agree. Nor does God condemn Job for his accusations and his questions, nor does God provide easy answers. It's as if the person who wrote this story of Job wanted to give us this story that refuses to buy into that easy worldview of Proverbs, that sometimes you do good and good does not come to you, and sometimes you do evil and good comes as a result. It's as if the writer wants us to live with that ambiguity. So what is the answer? What is the cause? Yes, Scripture is filled with difficult texts like this one today. But for every story of God punishing someone, there's a story of God's great love. Even in our terrifying snake story today, there's more to the story than God's anger. Now, God has enough of the people's murmuring, and so he sends the snakes. But notice what happens next. The very second the people ask, God provides another way. 
Moses makes this bronze serpent, puts it on a pole, and everyone who was bitten lives. The text is a little ambi- uh, ambiguous here. It doesn't straight up say that those who died come back to life, but it says everyone who was bitten lives. And so I tend to think that's exactly what happened. In a moment, angry God relents and takes it all away. Now, I'm sure this happens in your house like it happens in ours. If you don't clean your room, you'll be grounded for the rest of your life. And then they cuddle up to you and they just look at you, room still dirty. And it's as if you never said it. You forget all about it. Wrathful God? Well, maybe. Pushover God? Well, maybe. But also a God who in a moment relents God's wrath. Now, I'll be honest, though. I'd rather this text not even be in the Bible at all. And we'd probably just ignore this story altogether had it not been for that gospel of John, that weird gospel of John. A few weeks ago, Marty shared with us a story from from the gospel of John where Jesus encountered Nicodemus in the night from John 3. You remember That story, Nicodemus, this Pharisee teacher of the Israelites, showed up to Jesus at nighttime because he was afraid, afraid of God, afraid of what others might think. In response to his fear, Jesus gives him these immortal words for God so loved the world, Jesus said, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. You've heard those words before. But do you remember what Jesus says before those words? Just two verses verses above, Jesus tells Nicodemus about our story today. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Jesus says, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then, for God so loved the world that he gave God's only Son. Now, I've heard that one of the best ways to overcome your fears is to face them. And as the prophet Kelly Clarkson says, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, according to a 2013 New York Times story, that's exactly what happened with our pre-human ancestors. In her 2007 book, The Fruit, The Tree, and The Serpent, Why We See So Well, Lynn Isbell, an anthropologist, makes the argument that what makes humans unique among other mammals is that our traits develop as defense mechanisms against snakes. We can see like we can see better than any other mammal on earth so that we could, can see snakes in the dark. Without the presence of these snakes in the trees, the human species may, had, may have become extinct. That's her argument. The thing we fear the most becoming the thing that gives us life. Indiana Jones feared snakes. Yet to get what he desired every time, he had to face them. The Israelites feared the snakes, Yes, yet it was only by looking at an image of a snake on a pole that they could find their healing. Do you fear God? Well, look at God. Look at God. What do you see? Well, Jesus taught, if you see me, you see God. So what do you see? Jesus. 
And what is Jesus doing? Welcoming all, loving all. Jesus refusing to retaliate against his unjust accusers. Jesus choosing death over taking life. Jesus enduring the worst that humanity could offer. Jesus lifted high on a human cross. You see Jesus, you see God. In our past, yeah, we feared God. We interpret bad things as God's punishment. We told stories of an angry God punishing people with poisonous snakes. But then, when God spoke definitively, with no interpretation, God spoke about who God is. What did God do? God came into the world as Jesus to show us who God really is. No matter what stories may say, this is God. God came as Jesus and everything Jesus is, God is. Jesus lifted up, telling the whole world that God is not angry. But God so loves the world. Look at Christ and you will live. Look at Jesus and all your fears of God and of everything else will melt away in the overwhelming, extravagant, amazing love of Christ. Amen.